Welcome to the next episode of the Agility Transformation Podcast. I'm Kelly Fiday. I'm an agile coach and an executive coach, and I'm here with Sebastian Hellman, um, who I am so excited, honestly, Sebastian, to do this interview because I think you have so many things to share with people that are going to be incredibly helpful. So, um, uh, hi, Kelly. Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so Sebastian has a ton of experience in IT and somewhat new, like maybe a year into to Agile. Uh, so I'll let you introduce yourself, Sebastian. Tell us about yourself and uh, including tell us one thing about yourself that people would never guess. Okay. Yeah. So hi to everyone. Um, my name is Sebastian Hellman. I'm uh, German. <laughs> so maybe that's the first thing I have to mention. That's yeah, a I- comment. Herzlich willkommen, exactly. So, um, yeah, I'm working at Siemens in the internal IT departments for about 10 years now. I started as a yeah, straight developer, dealing with some strange stuff like SAP, ABAP, uh, coding, and went through yeah, a couple of projects with Waterfall and stuff. And like, since three years now, I changed the role a little bit, so I'm now a a team lead um, yeah, of a team and yeah, my new role is called business partner for our internal uh, um, yeah, for internal services and internal IT so um, for yeah, um, an internal uh, business unit I'm the first contact regarding all IT stuff so yeah they get everything to me <laughs> So sometimes I'm the trash can and they put everything on me and then I have to solve it or route it to somebody else. So, um, but beside that, we also provide our own services. So we provide and develop our own um, very individual services to our specific business needs that we have. Um, yeah, and so I'm still kind of in the um, yeah, software development thing, but not as a developer anymore. So I changed my perspective a bit. And um, one thing that maybe not everybody would guess about me, I'm, yeah, I'm a hard rock rock star, no, just kidding, but I play drums um, in a band. And so that's my my hobby. And I, yeah, I really love that. (laughs) That's super cool. Okay, well, thank you for the introduction. Um, So one reason, I think the main reason I was so excited to interview you, honestly, is because that you're in a position that probably thousands of people are in, which is um, being new to Agile and figuring out how to do it and how to kind of translate your past experience into Agile, which sort of leads to the first topic that you and I were talking about, which is is roles. Like um, Agile roles are new, and how do you help those roles get well occupied and i remember you started in kind of the po role um and then sort of po proxy so you're smiling already so tell me the story there yeah yeah exactly so um yeah also from my starting with agile um i i think i was quite in a happy um situation with that because i started my leadership role by simultaneously introducing and yeah getting comfortable with agile methods so when i started um i was not too deep into stand or 
whatever management style you can um, imagine, we started with it by evolving and introducing it by ourselves. So I was totally new and still am totally new to that. Um, but maybe this, this helps a little bit to, to be open about this stuff. Yeah, and exactly as we from inside our organization, so the IT um, started in our environment to introduce Scrum in the first place. It was total experiment for us. We did it the first time. Of course, we got help from um, some coaches. Otherwise, we would be very hard to do that. Um, and so now one of the biggest challenges that I faced in the beginning was, yeah, we Agile or Scrum came to us like some kind of savior. <laughs> well, we can now we can put um, some of the um, yeah the big decisions away from us, and we just shift that over to our oh. to our colleagues from the business side. So we I, I speak of IT and business. So we say, hey, well, you now you have to take all the decisions. We just do the implementation. Yeah, and so we we ran into that yeah <laughs> um, into that borders. Yeah, they, they, it was new to our business as well. So they said, well, what the hell do you want from us now? Do you want <laughs> us to, to do all the work or such? And so this came to this kind of uh, situation where we wanted to start a project or we did start a project. And we were talking about who's doing the, the PO role. And there were heavy, heavy arguments about where they should be put in. It was said, well, it can never be in the business because, um, yeah, there, our colleagues in the business don't know how to guide a scrum team and the other way was well but we don't we are not the real experts of the business domain topic yeah, yeah? so um and this was really hard so at the end the compromise was because it was never found i said okay guys i'm doing it because otherwise we're not starting the project but i was really struggling with that in the beginning already so um i remember that I, yeah yeah i started that being a a product owner for a domain which was also kind of new to me which is kind of really a bad situation yeah Two new um, things. yeah yeah exactly so so this started on and we had introduced kind of a new role yeah which is not a standard of scrum work we introduced that of a, as a product owner proxy yeah so i was more or less the translation from a couple of business colleagues who were also in the team, which then were labeled as business owners, um, to get in the requirements. And then I helped um, to facilitate that and transformed it into the real way and user stories and how to um, slice it and so on. And this was the a setup that now finally works as a compromise. Yeah. So still it's, more than one real product owner going around so this causes a lot of problems still and but in the moment this works quite well but it did not from the start <laughs> because you had to be very clear about the roles and we had like a lot of arguments even when the project started um and it was one time that we um was really at the edge of the project um should we proceed at all because there were so many conflicts at the beginning nobody was clear who should do what, what is whose responsibility and so on. Yeah. And it, it changed at a point where we got everybody together and exactly discussed these topics. What is my expectation of my role and really um, expressed that. So this was kind of a game changer here. And I, I just remember that uh -huh. when, when I sat there and just, guys, I cannot do a proper PO. 
I'm yeah. not capable of that because I'm not the expert in your business domain. Yeah. I cannot take the decision of option A and B because I cannot tell you what this, how this will impact your business. Yeah. And so they were, ah, yeah, okay, you are right, but what do we need? And then we started discussing that and involving these roles. Maybe the phrases are not new, but yeah, these products on a proxy role and um, the, the business owner role. But the, the point is, and the learning about this is that you have to see the other side as well. We started with just the, the IT view and we forgot about the, the product owner or business side a little bit. We just left them alone and said, so easy, you have to do everything. You have to write down everything, prioritize everything. <laughs> and as I was in the role, I realized how really, really hard that role is. Yeah. yeah. You feel like this change of perspective really also opened my mind to that a little bit. So yeah, it's like really you have to be kind of mini entrepreneur in an organization, a big organization. Yeah. And um, yeah. So what you always hear is from, if you discuss requirements with business side, usually is yeah, everything's important. Yeah. But what's more important? This and this. No, everything's important. Everything. <laughs> yeah. So you don't get a prioritization and to learn how to get prioritization, this needs also to be, yeah, evolved and helped and coached a little bit. So, um, yeah, the, the most important statement or a decision of a product owner is to say no to stakeholders to certain stuff. This is the hardest part about it, which what? I figured out. It's so yeah. hard. And I'm curious, like, what's made it possible for you to say no? You'll have a relationship with them. Well, of course, it's um, it has some kind of trust to say no, because... Um, they need to trust you that you take these decisions right. Yeah. So you need to have that trust level. Um, otherwise you've been tackled all the time. It's not accepted that you say no. So you have need to have a transparent um, way of displaying things. So maybe we can talk about this later also, how you can achieve that. Um, yeah. And having kind of a trust in the team, but yeah, this needs to be built up. So there's no... <clears throat> generic answer to that i guess it's so interesting because it seems like a lot of these keep coming back to agile as a mindset and of course mm -hmm. and you you um i think you're also in the interesting situation of you're initially you were playing a product on a role and then there was a scrum master on the team but but the person who was playing the scrum master role reports to you yeah, exactly. So this is also quite creepy. Yeah, so we have, <laughs> I, yeah, so I'm the PO, but I'm also the team lead for the dev team and the scrum master is also in the team. Um, so this has also some implications and conflicts pre-programmed. Um, and yeah, so during that discussion with the business, I sometimes I, I stated my role for the business as a PO proxy, as a let's say a scrum master also for the business side. Yeah. So I facilitate the framework and help on the business side, whereas the scrum master, which is more focused then on the um, dev team side. And we, yeah. of course, we need to synchronize a lot. So you see, it's not really the standard way how to follow. So it's adapted to our environment uh, with still a, a tear in my eye that we couldn't do it like it's in the book. So, yeah. Um, but in a way that does not put a tear in my eye, like it puts a smile on my face or a warm part in my heart, you know, because um, I think a lot of 
organizations or teams new to Agile think that, okay, how we should have to do it is by the book. Mm, yeah. But it's never by the book. Every organization has different needs. Well, um, but it helps. It helps it a lot to do it by the book the first way. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Like the shuhari, if you're beginning exactly. to do it yeah. by the book. Um, but what you've done is like a really intelligent adaptation to the needs of the organization. And, you know, I see this so often in um, teams new to Agile where they think being Agile means they can choose however they do it. But instead, what you've been able to do is keep the important parts that you really need and know what, what you have to keep and what you can like kind of leave for later. But you have to revise that all the time and try to revise it at the standards so that you're not off track with the, yeah, with the mindset of it. So that's the real hard part about it. And you still sure. can get this only with constant and continuous feedback. It's, and oh, get this, yeah. yeah. So. That's so true. That's so true. So um, this is where coaching helps a lot <laughs> it, it also. Does. Because you got the outside perspective a lot and can reflect with somebody neutral. So this helped a lot as well. Yeah, okay. Not coming off track with the agile mindset, even changing the, the framework without having used it real properly by the book, even once. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Definitely, definitely. And I, you know, I remember we were having those framework conversations and um, it reminds me of... <clears throat> the story of what happened with your team when they almost kind of tried to weaponize scrum and say, no, the process does not say this. So we're therefore not giving you that. What, what happened there? That was a really huge learning for me. Yeah, exactly. So this is one of maybe from my perspective, also one of the pitfalls you can run into scrum mm -hmm. uh, when you use the framework too much as a process and yeah, just use that as a shield for for building up a little silos inside that. So, um, yeah, examples um, where you just have the team um, somehow do implement a specification and at the end, okay, it's not really what, from a PO side, it's what, not really what it's, um, what we wanted or what we had, but they say, hey, it's exactly in the specification and we've exactly done that. Um, but yeah. you think about it, couldn't we have discussed this earlier? Couldn't we have just like, could you have revised it somehow? Because I think you see that this is not going the right way. So this is really a thin line between following the process and still being in that agile mode. I mean, the point is you have to avoid of building up the, the, the silos from a PO and the dev team side, because that's what could happen somehow yeah so that's yeah. and the point is they cannot be successful without each other yeah so this this linkage between these two roads is so bound yeah there are so yeah so many um inter yeah yeah, yeah interrelations between them they cannot be successful without without each other so and if they fail they fail both yeah so it's like in a soccer team when the when the strikers um, just don't go back and help defending when they're under pressure yeah? or the other way around. So they need to, to rely and help on each other so they will as a team or not. It's just as simple as that. So th this could happen and then you have to be very careful about that and see um, indicators about that if that happens or not. Yeah, but also to that, still a lot of feedback and a lot of communication is always 
or could be the key um, to do that. I mean, just like an example, we had we had a situation in one of our, our teams um, where we also ran in kind of of a blocked situation where it was okay. nearly of of yeah critical arguments and yeah statements like yeah I don't want to be in the team anymore yeah near okay. to that so this was really was like really shocking to hear that because at this time I thought we were mindset and on happiness level we were running quite well um right so, so this came happened? this came up exactly so you have to understand we're coming from an internal it um we've done some um solutions and service on our own but to be honest like um yeah usability and design had never been one of our priorities because we're using internal frameworks standard frameworks that we yeah. where you can develop very fast but as your internal the focus is just not there, but now with a new um, with a new project, we're really going outside. Yeah, we're having a really customer-facing product, um, and so this is really high high priority. It needs to be very usability, um, uh, very high usability, good usability, and it needs to look good. Yeah, so it has to sparkle. And so with not we don't have a designer in our team, <laughs> a dedicated one. That sounds like a problem. <laughs> Yeah, it is. And it came. So we assumed that it would just work. So we did some mock-ups. We did some yeah, UX analysis um, and all stuff. And so we had quite, I had an image in my mind how this should look because we had mock-ups. And so we put it in the sprint based on the mock-ups and developer did an implementation of it and um, the dev team. And it came out and it was like, oh, well, this is still the mock-up. And it was like, yeah. Of I remember. Course. What did you want us to do? Like, yeah, make it shiny. And then the arguments start. Why didn't you make it shiny? Why didn't you specify it in a, in a visual design way? And so um, we really argued about that and everybody kept blaming the other part. So, and then at this moment when we sat down and, and asked, came down to the root cause of the problem. And the problem was not that it was a fault of several roles, but it was a fault of the system. Yeah, we didn't we don't have a designer. We don't have a designer. So there is nobody particular taking care of it and making sure that the design is good and the design is sparkling and stuff. So and we, we didn't have a chance to get one shorthand on board. Yeah, yeah. It's always that resource issue. Yeah, it's it's always that's a boundary. And of course, if you have endless resources, you can could do things much better. But this is where you have to think about other solutions if you know this is not really um doable with that so and we then did it a little differently we put it in our sprint we said okay now we focus on doing visual design in the sprint and we say we cannot estimate that we didn't do it before and i said yeah well okay <laughs> but we don't have a chance just we put a high story points for that and see how we come along and we also changed the feedback cycle how so we did we did feedback on the visual design each day. Each day. Oh, that's day. right. I remember that, the daily thing. And that seemed like the turning point for you. Yeah, that was it. Because then it's not just between me and one developer, um, but also we then did more feedback with other colleagues. We just got everybody who started working on some visual design parts together for the, for the feedback loop. It was just like a daily, only, daily feedback only for the visual design. Yeah, so this was also not standard, but 
in that moment it changed and the la the, the the retro of that sprint we had a lot of smileys in there because oh, okay. we achieved a very good visual design and we did this by yeah um still making people happy or they were very happy that they achieved it because it was not their profession and it is not but the result is still quite good i remember that kelly uh, kelly can we need to stop shortly because Okay. My power supply runs down and you're still, you're not focused anymore. I know. I decided not to worry about okay. that. Okay. But I need to plug in my power supply. Sorry about that. <laughs> I thought it lasts, it That's lasts, okay. but it doesn't. That's okay. okay. Take your time. See you in a second. Okay. So are we back? Yeah, let me just okay. need to find the sound. Yes. I realize if I put my hand in front of the camera, then it'll refocus, but I need to learn how to do this stupid thing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so in, in any case, I, I remember you telling me that that moment seemed like a turning point with the team, um, where after you implemented the daily feedback, on the visual design, they, they had a sense of accomplishment. Like they knew, okay, we're not overnight UX professionals, but we were able to create something in that area through this cycle of yeah. daily learning. And they not only did it, they were open to it and they were happy about it, which is one yeah. metric. Yeah, exactly. So another um, topic that we had talked about, which I thought was so interesting, is that sometimes you said people have told you, um, well, Agile can't be planned. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. This, this is a very interesting topic, and it was, I was very yeah, also happy about that I could more or less disprove it, and I, I figured out how to disprove it, and there are some some kind of, and it's really simple ways to to uh, get along with that, yeah. So this is one of the prejudice that you have about agile stuff, so that all that, A, it's chaotic, and you cannot plan it, and you cannot do any kind of forecasts, yeah. So um, this is also where I 
ask some people to help out, yeah, um, and how to approach that kind of stuff. So where will we be in half a year, yeah? So, and also in discussion with, uh, with the management or the stakeholders, how to discuss scope um, yeah, in, a, in, a, in a broader timeline. And so this is one, just a simple method how to achieve that is really, and I really recommend this to everybody, do a burn up. Do, do a burn up chart for your whole project. Um, and you will see that, I hopefully you will see that this helps to just get more transparency in your project and really get a discussable baseline with stakeholders and management in regard of where you are and where you will be. So um, just maybe we'll just do a brief summary of what a burn-up chart is. Sure, yeah. Um, People might be new to it and it's so simple and valuable. Yeah, it's, it's really simple. So what you do is, I mean, basically you have your backlog with estimated story points. So you have for the, the stuff you have estimated, that's pretty fine. You know how much work that will be. And by the velocity of the team, so you can do approximately, let's say, 50 story points a sprint. You can say, okay, the current really well-estimated backlog, you, it will take you, what's X sprints. That, that's simple math. So what would you do with the rest? Yeah, and this is always, there was the, the initial question to me, how to, how to estimate the effort of the rest of the backlog, which we haven't discussed about um, before, yeah, in detail. And there is um, just also a recommendation from our side, just take risk in estimation, yeah? Mm -hmm. And you can use, like, there are tools for use that, like magic planning, yeah? This is some kind of a grooming where you plan it in detail, but with more risk and with more variance about it, yeah? So I don't go into magic planning in detail now, but the end result is you have a, at, at the end, you have a story points, even on not, user stories that are not ready yet by the definition of ready mm -hmm. but they have a, a, an estimation and for some of them you can say well i'm pretty sure that this will be in that area but for others which just say hey, based i do interpolation it could be 50 story points in total or 100 or even 200 but and then you take some average point but nevertheless you know at least um, a metric you at least have a metric about that and you know that for this stuff there could be a variance and I experienced that even with um, guys from a higher management level by introducing it they they get that in a minute oh, yeah? yeah and if you if you transparent take that graph and say hey guys this is our current velocity we have our backlog and we say we in, in three months we want to do release our current backlog says we have that amount of already well-defined and estimated user stories, but we still have an amount of roughly estimated user stories. So there is still a high risk in the variance. Yeah. And by just outlining the velocity of the team, you see probably we will just make X percent of that what we want to have. Mm -hmm. And then the discussion start. Usually the discussion start not how can you get faster or um, well, can you reduce the estimation? Because if you do that, they, what I experienced, they don't start to discuss that anymore. Huh. So it, you get the state, the status of, okay, they trust you now because you made it visual, you made it transparent. Then yeah. they start trusting you that you thought about it. And they don't challenge it, at least to a certain amount. Maybe they do. But um, what I experienced, they don't do it. They're talking about, okay, so what should we do? So this helps in 
facilitating and um, the prioritization of topics. And that's what you want to have in, in Scrum and in Agile. So, so this was, yeah, uh, this was really great. I, I didn't expect that to work that well. And I really love the burn-up chart because it wow. nearly, it helps me in a lot of situations, just putting that up. Guys, look at this, look at our line. We have now 200 story points above that line and we're still discussing about new features. <laughs> Are you serious? Or is that features really that important? Ah, no, no, it's not. Okay, we put it out of that scope for that release. But this helps a lot. Yeah. So it's a vehicle for having the discussion and why it works so well is it's very... Absolutely, good. absolutely, yeah. I, you know, um, it's in a way it, it sounds not only helpful for you and the team, but also for management because it answers the mm -hmm. question they always want to know, mm -hmm. including salespeople, which is when do I get my stuff? Or exactly. Which, which features can I get by date, by, yeah. evening, by Christmas, whatever. And the point is you can never say you will get this 100% then. But you can say, I'm pretty sure about this. Or you can even tell them by percentage. I'm 80% sure we'll get it by then. Because that's what, our, what the graph just says. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's based on metrics. And it's based on visualization, not only on stomach feelings, which nobody accepts. No, because it's wrong. Estimating is hard. So I have like a real life question for you. I've inter As an agile coach, I've introduced the burn up chart to many different people. And I find yeah. that only maybe 10 to 20% of them actually use it. And you're one oh. of the ones that actually are using it and you're getting a good result. And I'm curious about like, I'd like to find out when I show it to people, why don't they pick it up? Is it too difficult to create? I think it's pretty simple. I mean, what made it possible and easy for you to create one and find it? <laughs> I'm only, I'm on, I can only guess, but, or maybe if I think about like a couple of months ago, the, the point is really, how can I get to that estimation part, even if I don't have a lot of details? Because then you have to take risks. Yeah. Yes. So this could be a blocker and then uh, and I'm saying, hey, what could go wrong unless you have totally underestimated or overestimated the stuff? So but if you make it transparent that there is a risk in the estimation. Yeah. And we really had for the for the target um for the target scope of a release, we really marked it by color saying this is green done. This is well estimated. And in this block, which was a third, is a high risk of variance. It was totally clear. It was that everybody got that in a second. That there is, it could be twice the effort, could be half, which usually it's not. We all know that. It's usually more, but yeah. they knew. And they say, okay, I, we see. And it's going to be probably more because that's what everybody experiences. Yeah, that's how it goes. So it was the transparency and openness that you brought to it mm -hmm. and your willingness to not be perfect up front exactly take that risk and do magic planning just if you want to see how this works you also can look it up it's really see it's like a grooming but with high more variance and less details you don't need to be ready with it and that's maybe t taking uh, also down the um, the borders to do that that's super cool and i'll make sure to put those links 
uh, in the, the podcast and make them clickable. Um, so to close out, like what would be one thing that you would tell people who are somewhat new, like within the first year or two, to agile, uh, especially the scrum master or product owner role? I would strongly recommend to don't do it on your own. Uh huh. Uh. Because you will be you're doing new stuff, so you're not you won't be confident enough to go into every argumentation with external guys and then having a, um, a status or a, a standing on explaining everything just up front. It's not, it's not coming by heart everything. Yeah. So you need to have kind of coach or sparring partner at, when you introduce it, if you want to do it, get experienced guys that help you. Otherwise I think it's going to be really, really hard. Also in finding argumentation, finding new tools you haven't thought about that, like the burn-up chart. I, that, it, somebody had to tell me, use it, yeah? Yes. So sure. I, mean, I didn't come that by, by my own. I didn't find that resources by my own, yeah. 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 I mean, there's so, so many resources. It's like, how do you know which one? Exactly. Is? And that's for having a coach, you know, who's been there before and, you know, seen it before. Can yeah. You don't have that quality filter in the first. You cannot really take that decisions what's really important and whatnot it's true and yeah so and what else i would really want to recommend because that also changed a lot on my thinking on how we do stuff here is um a book called the lean startup by eric reese right. um i i just recently read that to be honest but i'm still kind of uh, impressed or let's say yeah I, it, it opened my eyes to a lot of stuff because uh -huh. yeah he's really focusing on that feedback loop cycle yeah to build measure and learn and what i realized is that and that's what he also stated out that how many hypotheses we take we take we, we do hypotheses but we take them as facts yeah and build our actions no. on them without validating that at any point yeah it's and so, so i that, that changed a little bit the perspective saying okay we do hypothesis because we need to yeah? yeah a project has never done before that's the de definition of a project yeah aspects you can reuse but in the end never has done it before so you go into an a world which you really cannot completely um foresee in, in the future everything in detail so you need to take hypothesis to go on but you have to validate them. And the only way to do is do it, get feedback and <laughs> learn about it. <laughs> it sounds so simple, but you have to be aware that your starting point is not the, the truth in stone. It is an hypothesis the most ways. And so if you approach it like that, it makes it easier also to fail because you know, hey, your, just your hypothesis didn't prove. So mm -hmm. this takes mm -hmm. the the weight from your shoulders because you know, okay, we need to experiment. It's kind of a, sometimes it's really exactly a scientific experiment. And yeah, that's also what I see to uh, in my role as everybody's talking about lead leadership. So the context is somehow still very fuzzy about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and, and this is what I see also in my role to, to just establish this environment on taking more risks taking more experiments and get to the learning and then act about it. Yeah. So 
this it's all standard stuff yeah it's nothing i invented of course not yeah but this is it's all there and i just can um recommend to take a look at the book or something because that that was really i was sitting there nodding all a lot <laughs> when, when when reading it yeah so yeah, yeah like a, a game changer and when you say the word hypothesis i i feel like that's just a fancy word for a guess yeah okay yeah <laughs> It's a guess. Exactly. And, and, and it's, it's, it um, sounds better if you sell that. <laughs> it does, like hypothesis, it's fancy. Um, and it, it seems like one of the keys to your success is your willingness to let go of that old mindset that it has to be perfect up front because reality yeah. is it's never perfect up front. And I think, in particular, the environment you're in, which is manufacturing. Um, is is really challenged in that area because when you when you're in manufacturing, there are certain things you do need to get right pretty early because if you don't, then you have a huge problem later. I mean, that's the beauty of software. Yeah, the software can change can be changed at any time, more or less, if you do it right. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, in a in a product life cycle, in a PLM cycle. If, if you don't do that and you're going to mass mass produce, it's harder to change. But software is a little bit more, um, yeah, stable about changes even it's later. No, but even when you're actually building a widget, like you're manufacturing a turbine, um, all of these techniques can be applied and are being applied. Yeah, it comes from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah we all know that. for sure. Historically, from the Toyota production system. So, um, wow, I feel like we've just barely gotten started, but thank <laughs> you so much. This is such an You're interesting welcome. interview. Like so many success stories around like the mindset shifts and being not only, you know, someone new to Agile, being able to understand the concepts, but you, you've applied them and adapted them to your environment in ways that are creating success. So thank you so much for this interview. I think it's going to be valuable to lots and lots of people. I, I, I hope so too. And I still need to say that we are just on, on, on the beginning and we're still doing so much wrong. So I, yeah, I'm just, I'm just saying, just try it. Just take the risk and try it. That's my real statement. Encourage it and try it. and um it's sometimes it's still hard if you don't are in that environment but yeah be that's, brave <laughs> ooh, that's gonna be my motto for today be bright be brave just try it yeah <laughs> okay well thank you so much sebastian i really appreciate it and uh we'll thank talk you. i do as well all right take care and uh since you're in germany i'll say have a good evening <laughs> And you have a good day in the U.S. and all of the rest of the world. Thank you very much for having me. And goodbye to everyone. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.